Anybody here bipolar? Just admit it. Maybe you need to put both hands up, one hand this way, one hand that way. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I might be. Nobody's ever diagnosed me, but some days I wake up and I'm as happy as I can be, and a half hour later something has happened, and I'm as terrible a person to be around as there could possibly be. You like that? Something makes you really happy, you're happy. Something makes you really sad, you're not happy. That's Izzy saying amen, by the way. Did you like that? Elijah was a prophet of God. You can read about him in 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19. And uh, I don't know that they had psychiatrists back then, but if they would have had a psychiatrist, Elijah would have been diagnosed as being bipolar. 1 Kings chapter 18, there's this amazing story. Everybody ought to read it because it's the story where God showed off. They're on top of Mount Carmel, beautiful place that you can see the Mediterranean Sea from if you ever go to Israel. And on top of Mount Carmel, there was a contest that had been uh, contrived between the prophet of God, Elijah, and 842, count them, 842 prophets of Baal. Both of them built an altar, and the, the contest was simply this. We will prove which of our gods is the most powerful, either the, 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 the god, many gods known as Baal, or the god, the one true god, our god. So Elijah began to pray, and the prophets of Baal began to pray. The Bible says they ripped their clothing off, they screamed, they yelled, they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and no fire fell, because why? There was no god of Baal, is there? Say amen, church. Thank you. The more you say amen, the shorter this sermon will be. Amen, 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 right? And then Elijah prayed, and here's what God did. He didn't send fire first. He sent rain down, and he wet down the altars. Can you imagine that? That's just being cool, isn't it? And then, after the altars are wet... God sends fire that not only consumed the altar that I, Elijah had built. If I say Isaiah, by the way, I meant Elijah, so you just go with it. And then consumed the, the altar that the prophets of Baal had built, and then burn up the prophets of Baal. I like that best, don't you? I like that. Well, he won a great victory that day. And three days later, three days later, we hear these words in verse nine, or chapter 19, verse 3. Elijah was running for his life because he was afraid. Elijah was running for his life because he was afraid. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had seen God, did, God do what he did on behalf of Elijah's prayer three days before, I don't think I would ever be afraid of anything again, right? Amen? But here's what had happened. Elijah was fortunate enough to be the prophet during the reign of a guy by the name of Ahab. Ahab was kind of a wussy man, and he married a woman named Jezebel. Remember Jezebel? I don't know what it means in the Bible, but it ought to mean snake. She was as mean as a snake. And Ahab came back to her and reported what Elijah had did, and then Jezebel, who really ruled the roost there, sent word to Elijah, something like this. It's on me now, and I swear now that it's on me, you're dead. Now, this wasn't the first time that Jezebel had told Elijah 
that she was going to get him. But somehow or another, it had a profound effect on him. And this prophet who'd seen God do a marvelous thing now was fleeing for his life. I want you to stop and think about that for a moment because what I believe in in retrospect that Elijah was doing was not so much running for his life because he knew that God had the power to keep him safe, I believe, don't you? He knew that Jezebel's power didn't compare with God's power and that if God wanted Elijah safe, Elijah would be safe. So I don't think he was running for his life. I think he was running from his life. You ever get that urge? Just run from your life? Because there are so many negative, grating, irritating things happening in your life. Maybe your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your husband or your wife Man, they just wear you out. They're irritating, right? Nobody's brave enough. Just Jim and Peggy's not here. The rest of you won't say that. And and you don't want to really get a divorce or break up with them. You just don't want to have to see them as much. And so you run. Maybe you hate work. Maybe you don't want to go to work one day. and, And you just try to think of anything you can do to get away from work. I hate traffic. I will drive to Louisville to avoid going down 75 to get into Cincinnati sometimes. I mean, we kind of run from stuff in our life all the time. Now, you know that stuff will always catch you, don't it? It'll always catch you. It'll always come back. You can't get away from it. You can't avoid problems. You can't avoid issues. But I think that's what Elijah was doing. And the Bible says that, that he ran and he found something called, you can see this in chapter 19, a broom bush. Anybody know what a broom bush is? I know what I can picture, you know, kind of a bushy thing that, that nobody would want to get their hands on because it seems like work. So Elijah falls asleep and God wakes him up with breakfast. Right by his head, the Bible says. There's bread, there's water, there's other things. And, and, and he wakes Elijah up, and he says, Elijah, you, you man, you've been going too fast, too far, and the wrong way. Who else but God would feed you when you're running from him? Who else but God would want to give you something to sustain you when you're running from him? Earlier, we kind of talked about the things that we run from. And here's what I think about most of us, and in fact, probably all of us, that We don't so much run from life as we do run from God sometimes. We try to act like God isn't watching when we do certain things in our life. We try to act like that that if I can just get far enough away in a dark enough place, I can get by with this, or I can deal with the guilt and the shame of the choices I've made, or, or, or I can deal with depression or anxiety or dysfunction or any number of things that I ought to give to God, but I hold on to myself. You see, I think God understands why we run, and I think he's a mighty good pursuer. Pursued Elijah that day. In fact, he gave him enough food that he made it for another 40 days and 40 nights, and he kept going the wrong way, away from God, instead of back where his responsibilities lie. And he got to a place called Mount Oreb. In the Bible, Mount Oreb is called the Mountain of God. 
the mountain of God. That would seem like a good place to go if that was where God had sent him, but he hadn't. Bible said that Elijah decided he wanted to get further and further away from God, so he hid in a cave. You ever been in a cave? Nothing good happens in a cave, guys. Nothing good. Uh, when I was a, a junior at Samford University, I was a member of the Lambda Chi Alpha Party, or fraternity. And you're going to have a hard time believing this, but my job in the fraternity was to plan the parties. That was my job. I was the president of the fun. And we were getting ready to have one of our big mixers, and we were inviting all of the sorority sisters, and we wanted to impress them, and we weren't good looking, so we had to think of something else. So I rented a cave for us to have a party in. It was a cavern, Sequoia Caverns, down in in south of Birmingham. And I want you to know, and it's none of your business, any more questions will not be answered, but it was one of the finest parties we have ever had in the history of that chapter. And once again, I want to remind you that nothing good happens in a cave. So Elijah's in the cave, and God says in the cave, Elijah, what are you doing here? Why are you in this cave? I didn't ask you to go there. I told you to be there, and you're in a cave. Do you think I can't see you in the cave? Do you think I can't see you? Let me tell you something about the cave. It's hard to hear God in the cave. It's hard to hear God when you're running away from him because you don't want to listen. Wi-Fi isn't very good in a cave. Cell phone service isn't very good in a cave. It's hard to hear God, but he's still talking. It's dark down there. It's dismal down there. It's dank down there. And sometimes it's almost like you can't see God. And so you think you've gotten to a place where he'll forget about you. Passage of Scripture in Psalms that says, if you were to go to the bowels of hell, God says, I would accompany you there. If you were to go to the deepest of the uttermost sea, there my hand would uphold you and strengthen. You see, I don't know where you are in life tonight, what burdens, what struggles, what sin, what shame, what guilt, you name it, what obstacle is there between you and God. I don't know if you're in a cave of depression, a cave of anxiety, a cave of sin, a cave of dysfunction, a cave of a terrible relationship, a cave of a broken heart, a cave of a sermon going too long. I don't know where you're at, but I know God's there with you. I know he's right there with you. God said to Elijah, get out of the cave. Get out of the cave right now and come out on the mountaintop because I'm going to pass by. I'm going to pass by. So I, I, I can just imagine Elijah. You know, he's, he's, he's been in the cave. He's been running from God for 40-plus days and nights and and. Don't you imagine he's stinking? 
he comes out of the cave, his pupils are kind of dilated and they're kind of really pointy and funny looking. His hair's all bedraggled. When I, when I think about Elijah, I think about a lot of hair, don't you? I think about a, a John White beard before he got crazy and shaved it. I, I, I can just see him struggling out of the cave and he is kind of looking this way and that way and up and down and he's looking for the presence of God. And all of a sudden, God puts on a show and this major storm, major wind blows through. The trees are bowing down. like that. The mountains are, oh, it's loud. And Elijah's looking for God. And then he realizes that God isn't in the storm. And about the time the storm passes by, the whole mountain begins to shake. And the earth, there's tremors there. There's a roar. And Elijah's stumbling, trying to keep his feet. And he's wondering, God, what are you trying to say to me? But God was not in the earthquake. He was not in the earthquake. And then fire once again fell from heaven. And Elijah said, you know what? I know that's how God works. That's got to be him. He's done it again. God, thank you. Thank you, God. But God was not in the fire. And then in the quietness and stillness, when the earth had quaked and the wind had blown and the fire had consumed, Isaiah heard a wind and it whispered to him, Elijah, I'm here. I want to ask you a question I think is very important, and it really is kind of the crux of what we're talking about tonight. Why would God not make a profound appearance? Why would God not make a big splash? Why would he not be in the storm or the earthquake or the fire? Why would he be in a whisper? I want you to think about a whisper for a moment. There are some people I like to whisper to, and there are other people I don't want to get anywhere near, right? Amen? Because when you whisper to someone, you're close. There's an intimacy there. And what God was teaching Elijah in that moment, that no matter how far he had run, that God was right there with him. Right there with him. In the moment of depression, in the moment of anxiety, in his moment of weariness when he was battle-ridden and worn to a frazzle, God was right there with him. When Elijah had given up on his own life because he'd asked God twice to die, God was right there with him. And I want you to know tonight that I know sometimes life is tough. And, and I don't care how old you are or what's going on in your life, how successful you are, or, or no matter how wonderful your life might look from the outside, I know that on the inside, on the inside, there are times that all of us want to echo Elijah's words and just give up. Just give up on life. And even on God. But God says, when your spirit's that low, that's when I'm the closest. When you're broken, that's when my hands reach out to restore you.
when you're guilty, when you're shameful, that's when my grace flows. And you see what this story is about more than any other concept. It's God's grace. Elijah had given up. Elijah had run. Elijah had rebelled. Elijah had sinned against God. And God came and followed him, loved him, ministered to him, forgave him, restored him. You made a quality decision to come here tonight. Do you know that? Say amen. Amen. You made a great decision to come here tonight. Because what you did, you moved out of the cave of wherever you've been and into a place where you could see God pass by. The devil hates it that you're here. He didn't want you to come. Because he didn't want you to know how much God loves you, how God sees you, how God pursues you, and how God can change your life. God recommissioned Elijah there on that mountain, sent him back into the fray, gave him some new words to prophesy, and Elijah did a mighty work for God. And I think tonight, as we crawl out of our caves, as we admit that sometimes we just can't take it anymore, that sometimes life is just too tough, as we admit our frailty and our emptiness, as we admit our weaknesses, God restores us, recommissions us. God gives us an opportunity to find peace and to find hope. Matter of fact, if we follow him and we follow him persistently and consistently, we'll find new hope every day. We'll find a way to avoid the caves and reside on the mountainside. That's my prayer for you tonight. Just a second, we're going to sing and we're going to give you the opportunity to, to make a choice. And, you know, every time you, you, you get in the presence of God where you've been tonight, you make a choice, don't you? You make a choice to go back where you've been, a cave of despair perhaps, or you make a choice to look into the heavens and to find him or to look into your heart and to find him and to allow him, allow him to offer you what only God can offer a new start, life change, peace, hope, salvation, what only God can offer. He's giving you, offering you right now. I'm going to ask that you stand with me. We've got communion here. Come share in that communion. There's not a better place. There's not a bigger mountainside than right here at this altar to come and say, God, here's what I have to offer you tonight. My brokenness. My sin, my shame, my guilt. God, change me. God, forgive me. Be gracious to me. Father, right now, these are your people. Our hearts, heavy, maybe even broken. We're wounded. 
we're looking. Some folks are here, they're in a cave of despair and discouragement. Some folks are here, and if they would admit it, they'd say, you know what, I'm just depressed. Can't get past what's happening in my life. Other folks here are in a relationship that just needs to be mended. Some folks are here, and they think nobody understands them. But God, you do. You made us. You know us from the inside out. And you offer us your presence and your power. May we say yes tonight. In the name of Jesus, amen.